Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. And you're in for another treat. And I say that every time, but I don't ever get tired of saying it because everybody has such a unique story. And boy, are we going to unpack a very unique story from a very unique man, David Zerfoss. So, David, you are out in public, and let's just say that you are out having a meal and you're mentoring and coaching somebody again, you're enjoying a great meal, and somebody walks past you and they turn around and they realize, oh, that's David Zerfoss, and they start talking about you, not realizing that you can overhear everything that they said about you. What would you want somebody to say about you? Well, it would be my hope and uh, desire is that in some way I touched, moved, and inspired them to become greater than they thought that they could become. And uh, my personal purpose is unleashing exponential growth. Uh, that's my on purpose every day of my life. That's what I get up to do. That's what fuels me. That's what uh, juices me, etc. As I told folks, I uh, never wanted to uh, retire. What I want to do is I graduate to a higher level of helping others. And uh, that's what uh, I would like to hear in some way that touched their move at their life in in a positive direction. That is beautiful. And I know you are doing that right now with Adam Boatsman. And I just want to say thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, Adam is an amazing uh, man, and I really appreciate who he is and how he shows up and his openness and desire to grow. Uh, You know, in life, you need to surround yourself with uh, like-minded people, never groupthink, by the way, but like-minded people. And he is into a growth mindset and and obviously very successful, wants to become even more successful, touching more people and helping more people. And that's the kind of folks I like to be around. <laughs> so, yeah. Jeremy, you're going you're gonna to kick off one of these episodes and just by chance, you're, you're not going to say you're in for a treat and the guest is going <laughs> to instantly get offended. So you're going to have to make sure you know you say it every time. <laughs> I know. I got to find a different term. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> A different spin on the same thing. But yeah, we all have to have our uniqueness. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So for the listeners that have not had the pleasure of, of meeting and interacting with David, he was the president of Husqvarna Professional Products North America, where he grew sales 1,700%. Yeah, I did speak correctly there. Right. Uh, he's the master chair at Vistage Worldwide, uh, a CEO board of advisors group uh, here in the Lake Norman, North Carolina area. He's also a keynote speaker and an author. And David, before we dive into the experience of of leadership and growth and things like that, take us through just a quick history of what led up to you becoming president there at at, uh, Husqvarna. Well, uh, it's probably a long story for uh, where I've ended up in life, but uh, probably the uniqueness that starts out... uh, uh, it's it's always great to hear the, those things that you believe achieve, but it was a team of folks uh, working together to uh, to make that happen that I was fortunate enough and blessed to be able to uh, lead. But even more unique is that uh, I hope is an inspiration to the uh, 
to your audience uh, versus this maybe uh, self-aggrandizement on my part is that uh, I started out in a uh, on a farm in western Pennsylvania in the in the backwoods, uh, born to uh, parents who had come through the very tough depression, etc. And it was working on a farm before all that cool stuff like air conditioned calves and stuff, etc. Right after the just at the close of World War II. And when I say that is that uh, I, yeah, it, it was a tough life, but I learned a lot of lessons, uh, which uh, I didn't appreciate most of them at the time, quite frankly. Uh, I was highly motivated to get off the farm, but I have a deep appreciation for that. Uh, from day one, uh, when I started to school, uh, walked with my uh, uh, brother to a one-room schoolhouse, yeah, which I went to for five and a half years. Now, I want to make sure for the audience they understand I didn't repeat the same grade. But uh, <laughs> I did learn a lot of stuff in the uh, process, and that was before we went to the big public school. And uh, and so uh, in that uh, 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 process is that I could, if I got bored listening to uh, one uh, uh, grade level inst- information is all you do is look across the room and there was something else going on. And so, uh, uh, but I developed a great quest for learning and uh, for reading and that helped me dramatically. But I can remember going to a one room, from the one room schoolhouse to what they consult, to the consolidated school when they had these things called uh, lockers. I didn't even know what that was uh, because we, we had a pot belly stove. We all had jobs uh, at there and uh, we were environmentally correct without houses. <laughs> so uh, we were self contained. But when I saw that, it was pretty intimidating because there I was with a lot of uh, the town kids. And the town kids had a tendency to look down on people with bib overalls and clodhoppers on. Uh, but the teacher trying to be good, uh, very uh, engaging for us and inclusive uh, said is, what do you all want to be when you grow up? I was just figuring out what was I doing there. And uh, fortunately for my, my last name begins with Z. And we started over at the A's. And I hear all these kids that, hey, I'm going to be uh, – a, uh, you know, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an engineer, et cetera. I said, boy, I, I could fear I was out of my league. When it finally got to me, as I blurted out, is I wanted to be a businessman and carry a briefcase. And how in the world did I ever come up with that was that uh, we, in addition to things on the farm, we sold uh, truck goods in the, uh, and, uh, vegetables and strawberries and those kinds of things up and down the street, uh, knocking on doors, which were totally intimidating for this young kid from the, uh, from the country. And, uh, but I noticed when we were in town, people had, uh, really new shiny cars. And, uh, and those people had, uh, 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 suits on and they were walking fast and they had a briefcase in their hand. That's where it all started. But I didn't realize the lesson in life is that you get from the universe what you ask for. And uh, and I really didn't have that comprehended at the time. But I ended up uh, uh, fairly successful by uh, business and life uh, standards. 
And uh, and my wife says I have way too many briefcases. So uh, so uh, it it does work. So I learned a lot of lessons. But it is a background that I grew as I understood those lessons in reflection are what humility are in working and that all things were level at the foot of the cross. And you didn't gauge people by what they had uh, or their uh their assets or their uh, uh, their belongings. What you did was who they wear and what they wear, and I believe that served me well. I've got to meet an incredible amount of people from uh, from every walk of life, and uh, including uh, celebrities, uh, uh, amazing folks, uh, presidents. Uh, uh, royalty, all those types of things, which were just so far beyond my comprehension at that time. And I guess that's what has led me in my quest to um, my purpose of unleashing exponential growth in others, because it's amazing what's possible out there if you just ask and inform the universe and then be willing to roll up your sleeves. Yeah, you can't go into school and say that you want to be a businessman with briefcase and not end up with a lot of briefcases. Yeah, that's yeah. I guess that's that's the way I found that it worked. But uh, I, I was a little bit clueless at that time, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, at the beginning of the uh, the president part of or position at Husqvarna, you're, you're transitioning into such a large role. You're going in for this this exponential growth type mentality. What were some of the goals that were set out for you to accomplish as you were stepping into that that role and making that transition? Well, I, I think it made a decision uh, for uh, on, on my part is first of all is grounding myself in the purpose. And uh, as I shared with you, inside I I. Uh, take on leadership as a sacred responsibility and uh and uh I don't I don't want to over dramatize it but I want to be authentic about that because I believe leaders in any walk of life and especially business leaders touch so many lives in uh, and when they touch them in a positive, powerful way, and we know is there's leaders who don't, but I'd rather honor the ones who do. But the difference is, is they become, uh, they become happier, whole of better human beings, achieving things. They go home and they treat their families well. And once you have uh, uh, better leaders, better families, you have better neighborhoods, you have a better world, and uh, and it simply radiates out from there. And uh, but it, however, it is it's a principle? Whatever principles work for good or the opposite side, <laughs> unfortunately. So I want to be on that side of the ledger that's making a difference of lives and, and responsibility. I also uh, learned enough is that uh, you you got to uh, start the world with audacious uh, goals, and uh, and uh, I took a look at is I want we want to be a billion dollar plus organization, uh, which the whole organization in the world became that by the way, and we grew hundreds of millions uh, in that uh, process, but I. I you, 
for adult learning to take place is you got to uh, first of all have bold declarations and you got to create a disorienting dilemma. And believe me, this was a disorienting dilemma because we were an absolute tiny fraction of that. And, uh, and the aspirations of those around me at the time was, uh, make that a slightly larger, tiny <laughs> fraction. And, uh, and that's not where I'm at. That, you know, I looked at you, you know, as a leader, you look at what is potential out there and look at what you can achieve. But in that process, people want to be called to something that's bigger than them that they can be part of. So we went to work in establishing purpose, vision, mission, and values. And this is not one of those politically correct things that, hey, let's all get together, let's put it on the wall, and let's go and then act like uh, we didn't even do it, you know. And uh, uh, and I believe we lived it every day. It was our litmus test. Uh, we're, you know, our purpose as a corporation and a company and our team was was to. Um, was to uh, uh, transform uh, lives and organizations and was to un- unleash exponential growth uh, for our customers to grow and prosper. And uh, in doing that, it was reaching out to help them and, you know, not sell stuff. Uh, uh, of course, we did like revenue, by the way, but it was we found the more people we helped we were a learning organization. And when we help not only ourselves internally to get better and to learn and to invest in that in an intentional way and invest in our customers. Uh, and we uh, had many uh, to start out many independent dealers that were mom and pop stores that didn't have a lot of uh, support inside of and background inside of uh, how do you run a business and how do you make money? They just wanted to figure out a way to make uh, life and make it better for them themselves, their family, and send their kids to college, et cetera. And boy, I'll tell you, I had a heart for that. And, uh, uh, and, we taught them marketing. We, we taught them, uh, uh, service. We taught them finances. We taught them most things. And, uh, and, uh, people said, well, that's crazy. You know, you just got to build better stuff. Well, we had to build better stuff too and high quality stuff and a broad line of, uh, of equipment, uh, in, in our quest and our strategy of total source. But I found out is that if you pour into others, and I think every day you got to get up to pour the pure, the powerful, and the positive, as Zig Ziglar said, into people's lives, that you cast your bread upon the water and it comes back. And it has. I mean, it grew and it grew and it grew. Uh, again, is a, a lot of work uh, and effort uh, to do that. But we cast a big vision, a vision that seemed totally crazy, impossible, et cetera, but I'm sort of up for crazy. And uh, and guess what? Uh, that stuff happened. Uh, but the stuff happened because we came forward and together as a team of uh, like-minded people. We, uh, we taught uh, uh, transformational thinking. We taught the aspect of it is, is the way you think and you can create breakthroughs. Uh, I wanted to surround myself with multipliers. Um, I, I threw out the ad sign and uh, took on the X. So before it was popular of being 10X, uh, we, I don't want to say we invented it, uh, but the aspect of it was that's what, what we did. 
And so as we took on this purpose and we lived our purpose uh, and we called it uh, the Husqvarna way, you know, our purpose, vision, mission, and values. We had our eagle values, and I told folks very quickly, we wanted to be eagles and fly above the storm and the rest, and uh, we weren't going with great vision, and we weren't going to waddle around and quack like ducks. Nothing personal against ducks, but they have a tendency to waddle and quack. And so we're, you know, we we, we were up for a big game, and uh, and it, it, it just is amazing to see people that uh, – maybe had those breakthroughs in a life like maybe I came through from the one-room schoolhouse to to where I was at. And that just lights my heart beyond belief is uh, just releasing and unleashing those capabilities within people. Yep, there's a lot of things that we did. But, you know, as, as a leader is, your, your your responsibility is always to forward the action. And to, uh, and to forward that action and to, uh, and to press forward is it comes with how you think. And, um, and with no pun intended, think back is where in the world in school did they teach you how to think? They taught you and you were rewarded on the stuff that you could remember and uh could uh, uh spout back and i think there's there's an importance to that cuz it's reading etc but to me is what is important is inside that learning is is how you can take action from that and uh and make and make a difference so we taught transformational thinking you know if your concept around here is breakdowns lead to breakthroughs we didn't look for what was uh wrong we looked for what was missing because when you have clear goals in and uh and you're focused on those it's uh, you're constantly you're constantly working towards those just as surely as that pilot is in the plane flying to Dallas or whatever you got a goal but you're constantly adjusting for wind and turbulence and traffic and all of those things. And when you get an organization that can do that, it is, it, it's just amazing. It, it, it's like a symphony going on. Now, when you hit the sour notes, so we already had some sour notes too, but, uh, but the breakdowns led to breakthroughs and it, it was an amazing journey with amazing people and amazing customers. So, Dave, I love this story already. I mean, um, I have seen the one room schoolhouse that my, or where it what where it sat because it's been torn down. Where my yeah. mother and father both grown up on farms, so I can I I can completely relate to that and to that farm work ethic. Um, I got to drive tractors way before I was street legal to drive a, a car, <laughs> right? So I understand that. Um, I'm very curious about what you learned on the farm that, so work ethic is is something you definitely work at, but yeah. I want to learn from you on some of the things that you learned from the farm and then what were some of the things that you think were catalysts because you're one of the most positive people I mean, it, it just exudes from you and this sense of purpose. Yeah. Talk to us about how some of that catalyzed for you. Well, a great question. As I was thinking, there's uh, certain principles that uh, that I learned is uh, uh, 
first of all, uh, before Big Street Legal, I was on a tractor, and it, I'm thinking probably somewhere about 10. My dad sat me on the tractor and said, is that um, uh, you're going to learn to plow. <laughs> and uh, and uh, growing up in the farm where your parents relating is that one of the ways that your fellow neighbors gauged you as a farmer is, was one of the first row on a uh, uh, a field was straight. Uh, uh, heaven forbid if this thing wobbled around a bit because they'd say, "Boy, that you know, boy, that, that's a <laughs> a pretty bad job." Uh, so I said, "Well, you know, of course I was I was excited because I had to hold that uh, John Deere tractor wheel and." Yeah, and that was boom, boom, boom. You know, it was that was exciting, but there's also my heart was pounding about as much. Then I said, Is how do we make this straight? And my dad said, See that oak tree out there, way out there? They said, Is start plowing in that direction, keep your eye on it, and never take it off. So there was a lesson I learned uh, inside of that, uh, Gary, inside of you. When you set your goal and you never take your eye off of it, you're likely to get there. <laughs> and so that was a uh, was a principle. I would say another principle was is you I found is when you carefully tilled that field and you fertilized it and you did all those things and we were a bit before all the herbicides <laughs> and all of that stuff. But I do know is that when you planted, when you plant wheat, wheat grew. And if you plant corn, corn grew. And other crops, uh, we also did potatoes and potatoes grew. Uh, it took them a while to for them pop through, but, uh, but when I say it, why am I sharing that? I also learned is, uh, weeds grow there. And, uh, and, uh, and guess what is you got to be intentional about what you sow and you got to be ready to weed the garden or weed the field, uh, inside of that. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I was introduced uh, in my uh, uh, earlier career when I was with Exxon and uh, when I was a training coordinator for the East Region uh, for them, that my neighbor had uh, introduced because he heard how interested I was in stuff, uh, uh, teaching and learning and motivation, et cetera, is have you heard this by Earl Nightingale and in uh, The Strangest Secret? And uh, and uh, I went over one evening, and uh, he played it for me, and it was on a record. And for your audience, that's a round thing with a hole in the middle, and uh, and uh, <laughs> it uh, it was before the sexy album covers that are now sort of getting to be in vogue. But uh, but when he spoke, is is what do you put in your mind is what you get out of it. And, uh, and, and that was important is that I know that I had to sow the right stuff in my mind, which is a principle. And if I was going to lead others was to help sow into them. So that was a, a an amazing lesson for me, uh, that, uh, that I learned. And obviously I learned hard work and I learned the respect for hard work and I learned the respect for people. Uh, our, uh, Social life really uh, centered around a, a church that was founded in the 1700s as a crossroads a couple miles from where our home was. 
And that's that. And that, but the thing I found there is that you didn't judge other people, uh, and you, you didn't ask them a lot of questions about their personal life, but you were always there to help them. And you learned is that no one was better than the other person. And that has served me well because, uh, I was equally, uh, at home with a sawyer on a, uh, on a stump of a cypress tree in Louisiana in the swamps as I was with the CEO, Bob Tillman of, of Lowe's. Uh, and I didn't gauge either. I liked each one of those as human beings, but I, I said, we're, we're, we're all, we're, it's all even. And, and I learned that, uh, uh, that, that lesson from my parents are is you, you don't judge others, you help them. And so, um, um, there was, I, I guess with many lessons, but those are a few that, uh, that, that come to mind. But I do know is that uh, if people did learn to work early in their life, it's one of the questions I asked on interviewing all the time is, um, uh, when do you start to work? And if they worked their way through college, they had one leg up already because uh, it wasn't handed to them. They, they, they worked their way through it. So it's no small lesson, Gary and Ben, is that if people learn to work, they're more likely to work for you <laughs> and with you. Um, amen to that, man. Um, I, I love that. I want to go back to one other thing, though. Like, those are great lessons. And my grandfather did the same thing with me on a John Deere tractor. <laughs> and he said, see that fence post? Because we didn't yeah. have a lot of trees in Kansas. So yeah. he'd say, see that fence post? And what was interesting is when I think back on it now as an adult, their reputation, a farmer's reputation is on how straight those doggone rows are. Right. And to put a tent, I was probably 12 years old when I was plowing, but to put a, a kid on there, put that person's reputation on the line. Yeah. It put my grandfather's, it puts your father's reputation on the line. But that's what a good leader does, isn't it? Uh, it is you, uh, one is you want to set the, uh, example and you want to, um, uh, uh, you want them to excel. However, it is they've got to experience it. And the aspect yeah. of it is, is that was sort of back to the question we'd ask is what's missing? Well, we, we try to give the best instructions we did, but I know is if I did it, my dad would have a conversation with me. Uh, <laughs> I would feel worse about probably than even he would uh, inside of it. But I did know that it was a loving father there. And uh, and I would probably be a tougher judge than what myself uh, w would be. But it, it is important to put the job in the hands of people. And, uh, and folks that try to, uh, in quote, you know, you hear the leaders, well, I've got to protect my people from this. Or I got to protect my people from that. And there is a point you've got to protect your culture. In other words, this is a house you built, uh, so to speak in quotes with your business. And you wouldn't want anybody coming in that house that would be, uh, that would be destructive to any of it, you know, as you would be protective with your family. But uh, but in that process is 
I've learned people can take tough information and tough news if you're just straightforward with it and you're authentic with it, because is life is tough, you know, in, uh, and I'm not saying tough is as in there's a high misery index for everyone, but the aspect is you're going to run into tough stuff. And if you don't help pe- develop people in tough stuff, my dad was developing me in tough stuff. I had to learn to help people stretch beyond where they were stretching. And sometimes they tripped. Uh, however, is I picked them up and dusted them off and gave them uh, my best thoughts on coaching of, you know, hey, you think about this, et cetera, because once you fault them, it's a bit like a yeah, the proverbial story about a cat that sits on a hot burner on a stove uh, that uh, uh, they never sit on a hot burner again. Well, they never even probably sit on the stove. So I want to make sure is that person is going to get up off that that bicycle and fell over and let's start pedaling again. And, uh, and, and, and this is where you help people to grow is to give them work that is up and beyond them. Not so far that you're setting up for failure, but you're setting them up to stretch. The more that we stretch, the farther we grow. And so Again, that is the wisdom you have as a leader and how far you can stretch it and observe it, et cetera. But don't spend time making people wrong. Help people become right and become better at what they're doing. And, uh, and this is a tough thing for leaders to let go. You know, it's, um, I asked the question, and if you look behind me here, I, there's a plaque that said, whose job am I doing now? And uh, I always had that underneath my uh, computer uh, monitor because there was there was uh, for two reasons. It actually worked like a two way mirror. <laughs> yeah, when someone came into my office and said, "Is well, you know, I'm thinking about this, Dave, and uh, you know, what do you think?" Well, I said, "Is first of all, I need to know what you're thinking about it." Because there are people that will try to get you to do their thinking. Because if you do their thinking, it isn't it isn't it isn't as taxing. And if it's wrong, then it's your fault. But the uh, the aspect of it is is I wanted to open them up for the answers. And even when I knew the answers, and sometimes it's it's a it, it actually is a very egotistical trip sometimes for leaders that complain about people coming into their office. But boy. Guess what is there's an adrenaline right? Yeah, I am smart. Yeah, here's the answers. Uh, and then complain about it after they leave why they have to do it. But it was, it was a uh, ego boost for them for the time being. And so what I want to do was to make sure was that I was even if I, you know, knew the answer uh, was to ask them enough questions to help guide them. And even say is after two or three times of asking the same question, I would say is what if you just guessed? Because, you know, they did have a thought. And when they were guessing is they were really telling you what they were bringing in the room, but it was afraid to, <laughs> to say it. But then I, you know, I said, okay, if you guess is what, well, you know, why don't you go back and you work on that and uh, come back as we um, develop the, develop the idea. Because I also had to look at that, uh, uh, my uh, small sign in the same way is, was I doing the job of strategy to grow an exponential uh, company that was going to grow by hundreds of millions of dollars? 
And, uh, and that takes leadership, takes strategy. It takes, uh, and was I working on the stuff I was supposed to be working with as a leader while helping to grow other people to, to be part of that? So sometimes always being the answer is an ego trip. You know, as I'll tell people, you know, oftentimes in uh, coaching with them, there's just a line of people outside my office all the time. Well, that's interesting. Uh, you must be very popular. Uh, so I said is, why do they come in? Well, it's for a lot of reasons. Well, I said is, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an assignment. You're going to take a piece of paper and write down the main categories. They come in and put a hash mark beside it. And then when you look at it, my bet is there'll be a very limited uh, uh, number. Uh, there'll be a limited number of subjects at the top with a lot of hash marks, you know. And guess what? If you fix that, you're probably going to reduce that traffic dramatically. You're going to have a lot happier people. <laughs> so it's a it is an ongoing process, I guess. Every time I look at coaching, how do I make it simpler, easier, et cetera, for them to achieve? and become far greater than uh, Dave could ever imagine. That excites me. So, Dave, a um, lot of good stuff to unpack in that one. Um, I loved your quote on, don't set people up for failure, set, set them up to be stretched. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, you also talked about just how life can be difficult. And and it is, you know, when we buy into the lie that it's not supposed to be this way, we bought into a lie. <laughs> and it's like, sorry, but life is is difficult. Talk to us about some of those times that your vision and your mission and your purpose got stretched or challenged in some of the difficult times as you guys were growing Husqvarna, because it, it I'm sure it wasn't a linear line. It had dips and valleys and highs and lows maybe i'm wrong maybe it was all a linear line and everything was just smooth sailing the whole time but if there were any difficult moments can you share with the listeners some of those things that kind of tested the metal and tested you know the theory versus the reality of here's where we're at well, uh, you know, how much time do you have? <laughs> it's, um, it's a great question because, uh, it, on one hand is we had the ability to grow each year. You know, folks would say is, well, Dave, uh, how long were you CEO and, uh, and how did you get there? And I was, when you came to the company, did you work your way up through? I says, no, I came and was able to stay that. And the average, uh, <laughs> uh, Career span at one place for a CEO is probably about two and a half years now in public companies and uh, was able to stay for 18 and a half. And people say, well, how did you do the board really must have liked you? I said, maybe on the best day they tolerated me, but it's uh, uh, we didn't conduct ourselves like the mafia. But the quote comes to mind is it's really easy. It's nothing personal, just business. So you got to get uh, results every quarter, every year, every quarter, every year. And uh, and they still have to like you some uh, in that uh, in that process. But we set up the culture there to grow uh, in in that manner. But there were things that came. You know, we happen to think is that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, every event that happens in life, it's the first recession. It's the first downturn. It's the first thing that uh 
occurred. You you had uh, you know you you were going against headwinds in the market. There was economies ups and downs. Uh, uh, there were when as rapid growth is is finding folks that can stay abreast of that. Uh, we invested heavily in training and development. Uh, however, is it took a lot of courage because I do oftentimes an around the table exercise with my folks because they they join Vistage because they want to grow, and uh, and in that growth, but they want to scale. And there is a, there is a art and a science to that all at the same time. It uh, and there's and there's people that can that uh, can make that leap and they want to learn and they want to grow. But I did learn in that process that about every threshold of a hundred million more as we grew is there, there are people who could run against that and hit the wall and dust themselves, pick themselves up and go over that. And others could not, no matter how much you poured into them. And that's always a tough thing is who were those team members that were going to be able to go the distance uh, and to me, that was always very tough because they showed up and poured their heart into the best of what they've known. So to me, that was always a uh, a hard time. And it may be a little bit different than your question, but that comes to mind that that was always heavy on my heart was, or those can we take, how many folks can we take across the finish line here in, in a powerful way with a winning uh, team? But there were aspects. So you had products. You had we're you know very environmentally challenged with uh, emissions. Even though our engines were maybe smaller than some of the huge diesel and uh, and uh, and uh, auto engines, etc. And uh, and and boy, that would uh, it took a lot of work sometimes uh, because there's uh, it's called average banking and trading on emissions where you. Where you can sell certain products that have cleaner engines than uh, others. We always had clean engines, by the way, but, but some that had emissions that were cleaner than others. And all of a sudden is you couldn't sell a certain amount of product and you're here increasing because you're uh, about 20% of our growth every year had to come from new products. And so that was a challenge. And so there was a timeline to develop them and, uh, regulations, et cetera, that, uh, that, uh, that, that you had to, uh, wrestle with. And, and one big, uh, challenge we had was when, uh, we, uh, and this was significant. Uh, we were an organization that was founded around, uh, servicing dealers because we were a professional product on the upper end of the product line. And that they required service, et cetera. But we saw as we grew in that uh, line, there were people that understood what a dealer was and many people didn't understand what a deal- servicing dealer was and made the decision is and, uh, with a lot of work. And because uh, I was probably the only CEO that was spending time telling Home Depot, no, Sears, no. Uh, and, uh, Lowe's know that they couldn't handle our product line. And, uh, but it became more inevitable is that more products were sold in that, uh, line. And so we had to go through, we went through a process of putting a, um, a, a short line of our product in there. And, um, and in that process, uh, and this was the uh, total, uh, uh, nothing but to, uh, 
to our uh, dealers. And uh, it was sort of like coming home and uh, telling your wife that, uh, that hey, you sort of liked another girl. <laughs> it's, uh, probably didn't go. That conversation doesn't go well. Maybe the maybe that example uh, uh, works or doesn't work, but it was it was really a rocky road in our um, uh, relationship with our dealers. And how did we maintain our dealers and live up to the fact that we were going to help them learn, grow, and prosper in something that seemed to challenge them? And as I told each one, we poured a lot of uh, uh, I think, as I call, put credits in the bank in the relationship. As we did a lot of entertaining, uh, we, we took him to NASCAR races. We took him, uh, on, uh, trips to, uh, to, uh, Sweden, to Germany, to Paris, to Rome, et cetera. I spent a lot of time with them. Uh, probably, uh, 80% of my time was spent with customers in some way, shape or form inside of it. So we poured into that relationship, but boy, it was really, really tested. And I told people, I can understand your hurt, but guess what is you're going to get to do more service where you make more money than you do actually selling the units and product. And we believe that this relationship, your business is going to grow. Please give us a year. But I'll tell you what, at that end of the year, if you think that you were hurt in any way is you can return your product, no questions asked. End of that year, we didn't pick up one piece of equipment for that reason is that uh because we lived through it but it was it was a a challenge and a hiccup but our business the our dealer business as i promised took off like a rocket our total business uh even surpassed that so but it was really a rough time in uh in conveying that etc but it also teaches us you've got to put a lot of money in that relationship bank, money, so to speak, inside of credits, uh, inside of it. So I was always pouring in because there's rainy days come, and if you don't put credits in, there's not much to draw from. So uh, those were a couple examples that uh, along the way and uh, the way we you know, we were constantly uh, transforming how we went to our business and simplifying it in a way to grow, which always caused some level of uh, stress or strain because uh, growing is not always comfortable, but becoming irrelevant is not comfortable either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, right? If that's the alternative, the, uh, yeah. the uncomfortable of growth is is not, not that bad. So, David, I want... To go back on one of the things you talked about, I'm really curious about of yes. the ability to say no to lows and the ability to go to a somebody you've had a relationship for a long time and say, we're making these changes, but we think it's in your best interest. How did you guys as a, as a company make those decisions? Is it sticking to certain values that were written down? Did you have processes in place? Because it could be very easy, especially if you're high growth, to be entranced by the idea of lows coming to you and immediately saying yes, because here's a quick opportunity. So how did you yeah. stick to those those things and make those decisions? Well, I'll, I'll tell you just uh, just a uh, quick aside is that 
here I was busy telling him no. And if you ever go to uh, well, their headquarters are, you got people groveling on their hands and knees <laughs> and giving up their, their birthright to be right. able to enter. And I'm saying, no, nope, don't think so. That's the part uh, of it that, that made it so curious for me because it can be so attractive. And that's the goal for so many different companies. And there you are doing the opposite. Well, uh we had, uh, as I said earlier, as there was a litmus test, was our purpose, vision, mission, and values. And uh, people get very confused with what those are. They uh, they call mission purpose, and they call purpose values, and all kinds of things. But purpose is, is why do you exist? Your vision is your eyes, where you're going to go. Your mission is your hands and feet, or how you're going to do that. And then is your values are represented in, uh, it's actually in your, uh, your stomach and in your throat is the visual. If you want a visual is if somebody asks you to do something you don't believe is right, it is actually psychomatic, uh, is, hey, I've got a lump in my throat or a pit in my stomach. And, uh, and, and so, in, and out of that, we actually added B dash attitudes were the behaviors uh, that you acted out of this. And why I'm sharing that with you, uh, Ben, is that we had a litmus test of how we lived. And it wasn't the politically correct purpose, vision, mission, and values was on our walls. And actually, uh, we loved celebrating, uh, who we were and inviting people into our place of business. And we actually had our tour of our facilities around what our purpose was, where, where you stop and talk about our purpose. And we have your vision, where that vision was at and where that mission was at. And, uh, and actually out of our eagle values, as we called them was the acronym for them. We had a 14-foot wingspan brass uh, cast. Uh, it was done by John Hare, who was a local artist that did the uh, uh, the uh, Beijing rings for uh, uh, for the Olympics, and he's done a number of sports. Uh, these giant uh, lions and tigers and stuff for the various uh, sports team. And why I share that with you is is back to your question is. We had these in every meeting room in our business. Uh, we had it uh, in small or in our desk, et cetera. And this is how we we made our decisions. And I can tell you, we were sitting in meetings, we would come up with ideas, and even Dave could come up with something around a left field on a regular basis. But we would take a look and just say, "Is how does that fit with our uh, our purpose, vision, mission, and values? If it did, there was a sense of energy and the and if it did not, there was a sense of almost instant closure. You're right. That doesn't fit with this. And so that's how we operated. And it operated on how we, uh, how we lived, how we, uh, uh, recruited people. It's, it's how we spoke and worked with our dealers. It's how we treated each other inside. It's, uh, it's how we treated a- any dealer in whether that was Kansas <laughs> or that was New York or Pennsylvania, or it's how we treated, uh, the, the Lowe's team up there, uh, or, and or others, Home Depot, et cetera. Uh, it, it was a way that, uh, we, uh, that's the way we lived. And so it just became a natural for us, but it was exercised on a daily basis. We had town hall meetings, which we got our team together. We believed in the great game of business, uh, which is an amazing structure 
of where you teach financial literacy throughout the company. And that whether you were on the manufacturing line or you were in the C-suite is that you understood exactly what the financial impact of what you did and what that impact was. So I say that is you wanted to pull people together and uh, the great teams work on a shared fate. In other words, it's shared. Victory or defeat is shared. Uh, inside of that, uh, it's becoming a precious uh, commodity out there in life today because everybody wants to figure out how to be a victim to justify who they were. But great teams, uh, they win or lose together inside of that. But that's how we won or lost was living our purpose, vision, mission and values. It was our litmus test of how we made decisions. And, uh, and, and we lived it. It came off the wall and into our hearts and in our minds. So, but we used it every aspect of, uh, our, uh, corporate life and our business. And it really translated. We even had families that developed their purpose, vision, mission, and values. We brought Kevin McCarthy in who was, did some of the seminal work in this in the early nineties, even before Rick Warren did the purpose driven life. He had the on purpose person and, Great book is Chief Leadership Officer, where he uh, uh, brings that subject home even even more. But we taught this. We selected them throughout the company. We developed it democratically. And then we then I was a total tyrant in implementing it. And when I say that uh, before before you fall off your seat, in other words, is this is what we agreed to. <laughs> and this is what we are going to do because we agreed to it. Because that's where you get it, uh, it, it embedded in your culture is that you live it each and every day. So uh, uh, this is how we made decisions. This is how we came to those choices. And if it didn't pass that uh, muster, so to speak, is we had to go back to the drawing board. You, you first off, ahead. we could talk for two hours only on on what you did from leadership and growth and culture in, inside Husqvarna. It's so incredible. Also, I think I've probably taken down more quotes from this episode already than ever before. But I want to make sure we're also hitting on um, some of the stuff that you're doing with Vistage and have for a while. You had this career and then decided to get into leadership coaching, things like that. I first want to know the why and I know it goes back to your your first answer of, of Gary's initial question, but why then go be a part of Vistage and lead these groups and, and help these CEOs grow their businesses? Well, I, I as a, you transition as a CEO, one of the ready things that happens is you get invited to do stuff. You get to get invited to do uh, speeches, and which I did all during my uh uh, career, uh, uh, et cetera. But then I was invited into Berkshire Hathaway and their companies to work on strategy and some other things within their Marmon division and, uh, and found out is that, uh, I was, uh, busy doing the stuff I used to do and, uh, and, uh, enjoyed it. Wonderful, amazing people, amazing company, et cetera. 
But, uh, you know, Vistage reached out to me and said, is, are you interested? And I says, well, I don't know. There's other people or chairs. And I was a vi- actual Vistage member for 12 plus years. And so I, my uh, chair had me trained well. I was, uh, I thought my job was always get members for him. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, uh, so I, I, I asked my fellow chairs that we, you know, is that, how does that sound? Uh, because, uh, 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 my wife, who is an incredibly smart woman, uh, 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 I would like to say it's because she married me, but she took, uh, pity on me. But, uh, the, uh, uh perspective is she said, you should have done that. You, that was what I wanted you to do to begin with, because that's just sort of naturally who I am, pouring into others. And I said I would start a group, and now I'm at five groups. So <laughs> I uh, I sort of missed the, uh, that uh, initial goal. I really wasn't thinking real big at that time in full uh, uh, aspect of it is. And I also the chair for the chair, so I get the shepherd to shepherd. So, uh, but but it's part of my belief is that sacred leadership responsibility of. Uh, uh, magnifying what good, the traits of good leadership to as many people in this world as possible. And all you got to do is look at the news and see there's a lot of work yet to be done. And so that's really how I ended up with it. Uh, and it was just, it, it was a natural, it was in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And I learned the principles in, uh, Vistage. If you surround yourself with like-minded people, uh, with from different industries, you'll learn different things instead of uh, you can get industries and get a bit incestuous and you start trying to do what they do, just work harder. I found out we had to have new ideas to break through. So yep. to me, that was the, uh, the, the, the real pivot point. And, uh, and I see what people, Ben, are challenged with today. And that is what, uh, uh, is, you know, it incredibly driving me is, as I tell our CEOs are, uh, uh, I, I, I like this role because I, you know, I can tell you what it is. I can love you. I can share, uh, aspects. I can ask you questions, but I can drive away. And, uh, but you got to stay there, uh, by, yeah, on the wheel, so to speak. And, um, uh, there is a term that was developed in the, uh, the, the late fifties, early sixties, uh, acronym. And we live this whole world as acronyms, right? It was VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, et cetera. Now it's plus paradox. But, uh, this occurred, uh, in response to, uh, the, in the military and, uh, and, uh, into the, the Cold War and all the things that we were dealing with. And then, uh, uh, authors took this into, uh, 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 in the business world, uh, certain, uh, writers and, uh, and, uh, the great thinkers in Harvard came up with it. So it must be good, right? Uh, uh, uh when you throw in that, but, uh, it was Benning and other folks that distilled and said, this is to be a business strategy. And I believe today is it is absolutely essential in preparing leaders because they've got to make decisions faster. They got to make them better. And, uh, and it is uh, a very complex world. The peaks and valleys used to be like decades and then they got down to, you know, five years and then maybe two or three. And now it can be in the last month or so. 
All you got to do is take a look at uh, Sundar out there ahead of Google, and uh, on 60 Minutes, he appeared a bit worried because they could get disintermediated by OpenAI and ChatGPT, and hardly anybody could spell some of that stuff a year ago, <laughs> and everybody's talking about it, uh, and it is just these shifts and changes might I uh, we choose a word for our groups each year, and I believe it's a word for some time. But for this year, current is readiness, and I really want to prepare our leaders to be ready for everything that is coming at them because the speed of change, the peaks and valleys are steeper and deeper. They are the peaks are narrower together inside of this. And so we have got a lot of work to uh, make sure that our leaders and their teams are ready. So uh, uh, that urgency uh, drives me, Ben. (laughs) Uh, In addition, uh, in this process is that to pour in as much as I can pour in, study as much as I can study, because uh, as I tell folks, the oldest news in the world is a former president of a, uh, a public corporation. <laughs> you know, I don't want to live here on what, what happened in the past, even though I enjoy sharing it, obviously. But what I want to do is make sure I'm relevant and I'm relevant in leading, coaching, mentoring them to be relevant for where they are today because they pour their lives and uh, fortunes into and time into uh, these this work. And I want to make sure that they're successful. So you're probably not going to be too shocked by this because you're in this world. But one of the big themes that we've seen through these episodes is being a part of some sort of peer-to-peer group and the value that these leaders it's just it's a recurring theme with everybody we have on here. Um, and so I love that that you now can also provide the other side of, of the perspective, right? You were a member for 12 years. Now you're a leader and have been a leader for over 12 years. What what are some of the, the common mistakes you've seen business leaders that are part of, of Vistage in this case, mistakes that they're making that is keeping them from from progressing that you guys are trying to break down or help them with those hurdles? Well, it's a great question. There is a power in peer groups and there's a lot, there's a number of great organizations and I urge you, urge each of your uh, folks in your audience to to join a peer group. I certainly have a, a particular preference, but... Uh, no no bias <laughs> or anything. <laughs> yeah, no bias. I'm totally all biased. But, uh, but no, uh, a peer group to me is important. I think I saw a quote which sounds pretty strident, but it says... Anybody who is their person is their own personal coach is being is a fool, uh, and uh, and I think that you know might need some consideration and unpacking. But the real aspect of it is is learning perspectives because in the growth aspect of where we're at is when when the uh, the, the 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 more significant the decision is and the more complex it is. We start out and a lot of folks get start out because they just got great instincts and, uh, and somehow it falls together and it grows, et cetera. And in that process, then they start to get into the judgment stage, which sounds like, Hey, you ought to have good judgment. And that sounds like a good thing. But guess what? 
judgment gets is this is you decide this is the way it is. So it gets into biases, <laughs> prejudice. It gets into things as here's what we see is they go, go start excited is we love our customers. And then in by the judgment stages, all customers are out to get them. <laughs> and uh, uh, not in all cases, by the way, but you hear this kind of crazy stuff is but what happens is this is the way they see the world. It's in black and white. And but the real stage you get is is when someone can listen in a room and they say the sure sign of intelligence uh inside is is the ability uh to be able to hold two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time. And I think this is the importance we want to teach them. Now they got to make decisions. And there's places they got to choose an idea. But if you never see the other idea or listen to it, you guess what? You you lose. And so what we want to make sure is that they have the opportunity in these peer groups when they're in the room with non-competitors that are like-minded, not groupthink, that want to grow and help each other grow. It is just an amazing chemistry. And there's an interesting science, even though we have uh, uh, every meeting, we got uh, basically we have a, a subject matter expert uh, uh, speaker, uh, had an amazing speaker, Gary Michelle, is with, uh, just retired from Geldwin uh, here in Charlotte. Amazing career uh, with Honeywell, uh, Ingersoll Rand, uh, Club Car, a few names you may have heard of and sharing with them. And this is great. There's great. They take notes, et cetera. And there is a learning that takes place from that. But in a uh, peer group, there's another factor that takes place, which actually uh, trumps the learning that takes place just in the subject matter expert. And you need you need both, by the way. So there's like either or. It's called compound learning. And compound learning is when you here's what I heard, here's how I'm applying it, how's my fellow members, what did you hear, and how did you apply it, uh, and how do you see it? it, it and that that uh, mixing bowl of ideas, et cetera, actually outstrips just the uh, the uh, the personal takeaways from great speakers, and you got to have both, by the way. I believe, but the aspect of it is that's the power of a peer group. And when people, when leaders see that and hear that, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, I was studying this subject and there's a factoid that is interesting is that, uh, uh, it business leaders, oftentimes it's easier for them to talk about their personal lives and their business because in that group is their ego is on the line. So they don't want to sound dumb about business. So they don't share as many ideas. And what I would share in this is the for them to come with an open mind, uh, et cetera, to have people pour into, because it's not about right or wrong. It's how we see perspectives. And these perspectives are what I see that really start to elevate the fellow members. And I, uh, and Ben, I may have gotten on my, uh, my boy pulpit. So if I missed part of your question, nope. would you remind me? <laughs> nope. That's, that's perfect. That, that's exactly great. So no, that's fine. Uh, one other question that I have, cause I know we're, we're past the hour mark. So we won't, we won't keep you here too long, but this is more of a, 
off the beaten path kind of question for me. I was fortunate nine years ago to have our lives cross paths. And, and you gave me a book that you wrote called Stress is a Choice. Uh, and and I've read it multiple times and, and it's sitting right behind me on, on my bookshelf. But one of the curiosities that I have is what were some of the habits that you implemented in your life to make sure that you can do all these different things that you're doing without without stress dominating your life, without you being able to to be consumed by that. So it's one of the things I'm so curious about with with how you've progressed through your career. Well, fundamental is uh, you you make a choice in life to uh, to to be a victim or a victor. Um, it, it sounds like sort of uh, too cut and dry inside of that. But one of the quotes in that uh, uh, book, uh, uh, Ben, uh, and boy, thank you for telling us that you know, everybody needs encouragement, including Dave, by the way. <laughs> but uh, but I also want to make sure in this uh, public broadcast is uh, uh, Barbara is a ghostwriter. So <laughs> she she's the sharpest knife in our drawer. She is... <laughs> inside of this, but it was capturing things that I shared along the way, thought about, and she did too, is that, but most importantly, what we both wanted to share with folks are, it's how you see things. And there's a quote in there by Viktor Frankl, which is an amazing, uh, his uh, book was a seminal book uh, as, uh, you know, for your audience, uh, many of will know, maybe not know, but he was a- uh, Man search for meaning. A captive uh, in the in in the uh, uh, interrogation camps uh, in uh, in Germany during World War II, and uh, uh, just obviously terrible conditions. But he gave the statement, uh, which I think sort of sums up what we want to share: is that uh, he stated, "Is the last thing you can take away from me is how I respond to what you do to me." Now, he is playing way above the rim in search for meaning compared to Dave, by the way. Uh, but the aspect is uh, throughout the uh, the book, what we want to do is to say is you have a choice. When somebody says, I have to do this or this is uh, just the way it is, et cetera, is guess what? That person has just shared with you they're a victim of somebody else. And uh, and what I want to do is choose, even in the toughest things in the world, I want to choose my attitude of how I approach that. And that was really the seminal work throughout the various uh, things that uh, that uh, we we shared uh, uh, in the book is it is a difference between choice and decision. It's sort of like, hey, between this and this, et cetera. Might be a little bit more, but choice is, is fundamentally, I chose to do this. And I can tell you, I know there's a, folks will be saying, I didn't choose to have this either disease or illness or situation or uh, bad circumstance, et cetera. I get that. I really do. I have a lot of heart for it. But the aspect of it is I can choose how I respond. And it is really important that I uh, share that with folks. And I've got to church myself up on that on a daily basis that I'm exhibiting that in uh, uh, each and uh, in every case. But uh, uh, even just one incidental, one, one chapter uh, uh, inside that is Pat's time. I don't know whether you remember that. It's uh, you know, I've been fortunate to... Uh, 
have great friends in this world. And Joe Gibbs is one of those who is one of the most amazing individual celebrity you'll ever meet in this world inside of that. But, uh, but inside of that, he says as a spouse is that, uh, uh, it's patch time and he would set aside time that was totally her decision. And he was at, uh, her, her will of what she wanted to accomplish in that time. And I can remember calling his, uh, as, uh, his assistant Mindy and saying is, Hey, we got this big event going on and we need you because we were a sponsor uh on his car and uh and cars now he's done pretty well at that besides football and uh she would say well let me look at the calendar he says no can't do it it's patch time and uh and uh and uh and, uh, and if you change that you got to talk to pat not joe <laughs> But uh, I didn't even ever pick up the phone to talk to Pat, believe me, even though we talked to him in other settings, because he he defined something. He made a choice in life that that was how he was going to honor his wife. So I, I just wanted to bring it day because, you know, sometimes we were talking about big business decisions here, and this gets to be a personal decision. But those are the various chapters, in life, and each one of them was was really about a choice of how you looked at things and how you conducted yourself inside of it. And hopefully we opened up the spirit of uh, play and uh, some fun and uh, stories that, that would land inside of that. But however it is, we have to operate inside of that because stress does not do anything to enhance our lives inside. Now there's, you know, we can get into their sort of dynamic stress and the structure of buildings that are under certain dynamic stress, et cetera. But if it's a dynamic stress that is a constructive stress, et cetera, is it's how you relate to it. You know, people don't realize, you know, they say they have burnout. Well, they don't have burnout. What they have is disconnection from uh, their purpose and passion. Because when you're doing stuff that isn't fun and you hate and is boring, it it, it is stressful of how you uh, deal with it. So we wanted folks to figure out how to choose those things in life that are in line with their purpose and who and what they are and, uh, and, and in line with their purpose. And when they are, they'll find time to do what they need to do. Their lives are going to be lit up, et cetera. And they're going to make a greater contribution to any place, person, institution, business, job, family, politics, anything that they touch is going to be different. Yeah, I exponentially different, by the way. Right. Yeah, you see people dealing with stress, anxiety, and that that dominating their life so often, especially now where we're just plugged in twenty four seven. So I, I appreciate you going into that because I think that's that's vital for a lot of listeners to make sure they think of it as a choice and, and they they take back control instead of being the, being a victim or putting themselves in a bad spot. Well, an important part of that uh, that I would just add as as a note, because I I don't think you can ever totally complete that uh, subject. But the aspect of it is you got to have a grounding in who you are, what you are, what you believe to be able to do that. And I get up and study that every day, quite frankly, because it takes a grounding inside that. So if you have a grounding, you can't even figure out what's missing in your life. Uh, because this work you do on figuring out your purpose and passion. And when you see people figure that out, 
it's just amazing what they accomplished, if not uh, interesting study of the Sao Institute. The graduating class of 2023 is uh, their number two job requirement is is mental therapy. Can you imagine that? Well, I can imagine it, you know, but I have to look and say is what is the root cause of this disconnect? Because I believe I want everybody with mental wellness and health and happiness and uh, vitality, et cetera. But we've got to take a look as leaders. Are we creating a great grounding that they can emulate and understand so they can start making their own decisions and, uh, and guidance in their life? And if they're surrounded by, uh, uh, lesser leaders, they're not helping them in that process. And I think these are amazing young people that are make going to make turn this world upside down in a positive way. But that's, again, back to full circle is we all have a responsibility to show up and improve our leadership skills and exhibit that to others who are coming along the way. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Gary, any any final thoughts or any uh, other questions that, that you have for Dave while we've got him? Well, all I know is I got to spend some time with Dave at a uh, coffee shop or at a restaurant because right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I was inspired before we started and like, I can't contain myself. So <laughs> it was hard to just not like, oh man, let's talk about this or that. So David, thank you so very much. Okay. You know, it was just an honor to have you. Can't wait to get this uh, episode published so everybody else can hear it because this has been ex- exceedingly rich. Thank you. It could, uh, you are very welcome. If I could make one more comment, because um, whether your audience will get to see or not see is behind all three of us is a pretty amazing libraries. And uh, so the the, the last uh, two very short comments I'll make is readers are uh, leaders are readers. Leaders are learners. Leaders are readers. Leaders are learners. So another common theme across all of the anything but typical podcast guests that we've had for the last three years. We're coming up on our hundredth episode which will be in a couple more months because we only release every other week. But uh, that has been a very common theme across everybody that we have on here. And we're pretty intentional about who comes on because we believe in the same ripple effect that you talked about. That's why we started this podcast. We wanted to feature leaders that would tell the behind the scenes reels and be willing to humbly share but that are that they that culture is a big thing for mm-hmm. them, and it's not just words on a wall. It's it's right. it's real because it does have a ripple effect across families, communities, and our nation, quite frankly, and the world. So, thank you. Amen. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. We we appreciate this. It's been tremendous. So, thank you. Right. And Ben, it's glad to re-meet you in this process. And it's all that conundrum because it ain't kept uh, yeah. coming up. But I want to, I just really want to commend you, uh, in, uh, your, uh, uh, young life. And of course, when you get to this age, you're, everybody's younger, but the aspect of it is that, uh, 
That's amazing what what you have accomplished, and uh, I just want to encourage this that uh, that uh, that you and Gary carry this forward because we have a lot of work to do, and the field is, as they say biblically, the field is white with harvest. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It means a lot.